Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, Nina Prater, Agriculture Specialist at NCAT's Southeast Regional Office in Fayetteville, Arkansas, has a conversation with her NCAT colleague, Guy Ames, horticulture specialist and owner-operator of Ames Orchard and Nursery in Elkins, Arkansas. Guy has been farming in Arkansas since 1971, but became interested in heirloom apples in 1980. In this episode, discover things you might not have known, such as what qualifies as an heirloom, what's in a name, how do you decide what variety to grow, Guy and Nina also talk about the history of heirloom apples, some pros and cons, and the role these apples play in today's market and environment. Let's listen. Hello, I am Nina Prater, NCAT Ag Specialist here in our Fayetteville, Arkansas office, and I am here with my colleague, Guy Ames, our horticulture specialist on staff. And Today we are going to talk about a question that Guy gets a lot, asked a lot, um, about heirloom apple varieties. And um, we're going to just discuss a lot of the the history and some of the misconceptions and uh, some of the unique qualities of of heirlooms. Um, So let's dive in. Um, Sounds good. What makes a variety of apples an heirloom? Okay. So the easiest definition would just be old. It's a variety that's been around for a long time. But there's a lot of varieties that, you know, technically have been around for a long time. Red Delicious, for instance, has been around since 1890-something. But no one would think of it as an heirloom. So an heirloom then, in my mind, would be not only old, its origin is, you know, somewhere probably, oh, I don't know, it would have to be... in my mind, it's like 1920s and earlier, but you know, obviously, I think you can see from the way I'm struggling to define it that it's not easy to define. And the other thing that defines it is not just that age, but it's for whatever reason fallen out of favor. It's not, um, it's not red delicious. You know, it's not commercially available just anywhere. Uh, so basically, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, but then you have to remember that the word heirloom even, you know, has a, a, a connotation that's pleasant. You know, it's something that's passed along in a family, say. Um, and so it's, it's not, you know, something that's just old and dusty and cobwebby. It's something that has value. So we've got to at least acknowledge that from the start, that an heirloom, the very word heirloom, uh, implies a sort of value to it, something that, that we should be, you know, considering still, mm-hmm. even though it's old, right. like me. <laughs> so old, rare, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and valued, valuable, yeah. something that worth carrying on to the next mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of these uh, heirloom varieties come with really poetic names. What are some of your favorite heirloom apple names? The one that started it for me was Westfield Seek No Further. Seek no further is hyphenated, and uh, I, that's just a you know it, a wonderful name for an apple, and it's it's saying of course 
You don't have to go any further. This is it. This is the best apple there ever was. Uh, a whole lot of the old names, of course, would be uh, like the Westfield would be um, evocative of where it originated or where it became well known. So Westfield, you know, in that, uh, what are some others like that? Um, hmm. Oh, Arkansas, you know, Arkansas Black, there's Missouri Pippin, uh, uh, Tompkins County King, and, and things like that. So you'll get those uh, place names in there. Uh, but the ones that are probably most fun are just, they're just, uh, oh, what would you say? Good mouthfeel, you know, like what we were talking about. Oh, Hoople, Hoople's Antique Gold, Hubbardston's Nunsuch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rusty coat, leather coat. Uh, sometimes they retained uh, their old name from Europe. So Gravenstein and Red Gravenstein, Esopus Spitzenberg, obviously <laughs> a German apple and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, purported to be Thomas Jefferson's favorite apple. Burford Red Flesh. So Red Flesh reminds me, Burford obviously is the name of the family or maybe the place where it came from. Uh, but then the Red Flesh, now we're getting into the the names that um, that describe the apple in some way. I mentioned rusty coat and leather coat, and uh, those were terms that were used to describe uh, what we, a pomologist would call a russeted apple. It's kind of a rough, almost like a, a uh, really fine grit sandpaper, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it is. It's kind of leathery or, or rusty. Um, Butterscotch, Maiden's Blush. There's a good one. Maiden's Blush. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, he didn't want to at least look on that apple. <laughs> yeah, they all sound so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And really a lot of variety um, in just the way they look and, and taste. And- yeah, and it's interesting though. I think it's important to state here too, when we're talking about the names, that these names have gotten mixed up. Mm. And uh, some of it's the fault of the, uh, of the uh, enthusiast. You know, they're, they're sure because of something they read in the book that the book that, I mean, that an apple that they found, you know, on some abandoned farm is such and such apple. It may or may not be, but if you start calling it that and then start sharing sign wood with other uh, enthusiasts, then uh, those names get really confused. But sometimes the names themselves are confusing. So here in Arkansas, we have a, a, a still a pretty valuable heirloom and certainly going through a uh, uh, a resurgence of, of interest, and that's Arkansas Black. Uh, there's another um, a completely separate, absolutely separate variety, probably came from Tennessee, called Black Twig. Okay, Black Twig in Arkansas was quote unquote discovered. It wasn't really, of course. But somebody thought that it was a distinct new variety, named it Arkansas. So now we have Arkansas Black and Arkansas, which as a synonym is Black Twig. There's <laughs> well, that's also not Black. Confusing at all. No, no, no. There's another one, yet another one called Black Limber Twig. Oh my gosh! It's really easy for the for the hobbyist, for the enthusiast, for you know the average consumer to get these mixed up, and I'm pretty sure. Uh, that there's one um, sort of historical community orchard here in northwest Arkansas uh, that claims to have a whole lot of Arkansas blacks in the orchard, and uh, it's not. It's I'm pretty sure it's Arkansas mm-hmm. or Mammoth Black Twig. 
And anybody that knows Arkansas Black would be able to see that. But still, you know, Arkansas Black has a reputation, so people want to claim that we have this apple. Well, in this case, they don't. <laughs> so the names is as evocative and as beautiful as they can be can sometimes uh, just be <laughs> confusing. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, to get to the bottom of these things sometimes. Do I really have the bright water mm-hmm. apple, you know? Mm-hmm. And how do I know I have the bright water apple? And there's ways that people, um, there's questions you can ask. You know, like a continuity of ownership. If you find an old apple tree, and you won't find it here in Arkansas, by the way, but you might in New England. Find an old apple tree that at first glance, first taste, looks to be the old Westfield, seek no further. Well, how do you d- decide? Well, you'd want to look at the, the deed of that farm, who it passed through. Was this an apple orchardist? You know, diaries it's amazing you can get to it sometimes you can get to the bottom and there's a few experts in the field uh, that are really good at combining all these different factors you know the history the individual history Mm -hmm. you know i mean the history of the apple but also the history of of a a farm Uh, and then flavor as it was written down and described by others in the past so but it's it's tricky business Sounds like it. Yeah. You have to be a detective. Yes. Um, so the, we've talked about how heirlooms kind of have this this romance, a little bit of mystique. What are some common misunderstandings about heirloom apple varieties that you run into um, on a regular basis? In okay, life? the big one, of course, is just that these things taste better than any modern apple. And that's, you have to remember that this, these, this is the context. We want to think that, we want to, hmm. We tend to think, or maybe it's just apple enthusiasts, fanciers, you know, tend to think that what we eat today is, is you know, some pale shadow of what they had in the past. This is a common thing among people who love antiques, old automobiles. You hear it all the time. Ah, they don't make them like they used to. And so it's the same for apples. And uh, I got to tell you, by golly, it's just, <laughs> in my experience, it just isn't true. But that's the main one, you know, that it was just really a fantastic flavored apple, and there's nothing that can stand up to it today. And uh, I haven't found that apple yet, and I look at a lot. I'm 67, and I've been doing this since I was a young man, and I haven't found anything that's... i found a lot of really good apples, and a lot of things that are uh, exceptional, and maybe my favorite apple is one of those, King David, and it's from here in Arkansas, but I discovered it. I discovered it. Found it in, in, uh, in Missouri. But that's the big one, just flavor. I don't think people make, people make too many claims. I mean, the, in the old days, it was important uh, that these apples had other characteristics, and I guess we're going to get into that in a minute, you know, keeping ability, and it was good for making cider or sauce or whatever. But the main one is that this heirloom, you know, it's just how nostalgia is. You know, they don't make them the way they used to, and it was the same for apples. So, yeah, it's usually just flavor that this Hoople's Antique Gold is just going to change your life. Right. Man, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think you were talking about how at one point early in your apple uh-huh. growing career, you assumed that if something had been around for a really long time, it had to be really disease resistant. Okay, that's to really... To survived. That's a really good point. And this is a very common misconception. Uh, it's led a lot of people down the primrose path, uh, especially those of us that are interested in organic apple production. 
So I'm just going to repeat your question again so that everybody understands what we're talking about. The idea that if you had these varieties that were old, that uh, they're old enough to precede uh, the era of modern pesticides, especially fungicides, uh, which is really World War II. And that's really, you know, we had a few fungicides and pesticides before World War II, but almost almost all of the modern fungicides and pesticides uh, came from World War II and, and after. So the presumption then would be that if you can find an apple that precedes that period, it must have had a lot of disease resistance to have grown. Well, maybe. <laughs> and here's, here's, the, here's the thing, here's the catch. That's probably true, probably true um, for a region. And I tell on our, the blog that's going to be sort of published as a companion piece to, to this podcast of my love affair with uh, uh, Gravenstein, which is one of the oldest, you know, documented that we can kind of follow, you know, back in time to at least the 16th to the 16th century to the 1500s in Denmark. And uh, that's great. And uh, so when I first tasted it in an organic orchard in California, I thought, wow, this is, and it's a great apple, by the way. It's really a good apple. Didn't change my life. <laughs> really, <laughs> really a good apple. And so I brought some of those. I bought some or grafted some. I can't remember how I did it now, but I had eight. I remember that because I watched them go down every year. You know, it was eight and seven and six to fire blight. Fire blight is a new world disease. They didn't even have it in Europe. By chance, there are some European apples that are resistant to fire blight. But, you know, the way evolution works, if you're not exposed to these diseases, you don't have much, you know, the organism, the plant in this case, the apple doesn't have much reason to develop resistance to fire blight. And so a whole lot of those old European varieties just turn to, to mush and are heat. They, they get diseased and melt with fire blight. To, so, yes, maybe... <laughs> there's disease resistance in these old heirlooms. There's one other factor that I've had to consider a lot because I've tried to be an organic farmer <clears throat> almost all my life. And apples have been a major crop. And um, this, the, the regionality of something doesn't explain the disease susceptibility of some of these old heirlooms. And what I've had to conclude and I've done so with the help of a, a whole new genre of history called uh, environmental or ecological history. Uh, my favorite being uh, uh, one called Changes in the Land. Uh, that's about New England. And uh, the land was really different. You know, when the, the Indians burned off the land, but when the white settlers got here, we pretty much clear-cut everything. And, uh, you know, the story goes in, in this book, it's not a story, it's a documented history, that from Boston, you'd have to go something like 70 to 80 miles outside of Boston to get firewood at one point. They had done wow. such a great job at stripping the, the land of, of timber. Well, that changes the climate. It changes, uh, I would say microclimate, but it probably even had macroclimate effects. So, if first of all, if you don't have a lot of trees around, you miss some of the pests that would otherwise be there. Uh, some of the diseases, overwinter and alternate hosts that are in the woods, uh, that would be in play too. Uh, like I said, you're going to change the actual humidity and the temperature. Um, old apple orchards were very commonly um, clean cultivated. That is, they would take, they would treat it almost like a, 
uh, an annual crop as far as plowing and cultivating to keep mm-hmm. it weed free. Mm-hmm. And that breaks the, the, uh, the life cycle of some of these diseases and pests. My point in all this is that some of these old uh, heirlooms that I know were grown in the eastern United States uh, show up with horrible diseases. The one I think of uh, most commonly is cedar rust. And you have to question then, well, how did they do this before the, the advent of modern pesticides? Well, climate was different. Most of the cedars cut off and cut into lumber, mm-hmm. and uh, it was drier probably. Uh, again, they were cultivated. When they clean cultivate, you bury a lot of the pests and the disease inoculum and the fallen leaves and things like that. So it was a different world, literally a different world, and you can bring some of these old antiques back into, into play here, and uh, I'm just amazed. Here, here's Arkansas, once uh, some important in uh, apples, in apple industry. And uh, <clears throat> Arkansas Sweet uh, is an old heirloom. Arkansas Beauty. And uh, there's another one I'm trying to think of. But horribly cedar rust susceptible. So much so that the tree will just defoliate. It'll just give up. Wow. So it had to be a different world. Right. You know, it had to be different. They, they were growing, at the very least, they were growing where there were no eastern red cedars. Right. Which so, they're everywhere now. They're everywhere now. But That's right. They, you know, the these mm-hmm. mountains have been clear cut twice now. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So different world. That explains mm-hmm. a lot of it. But this is this is a, a common misconception that I'd really like to emphasize here that just because it's an heirloom doesn't necessarily that it's going necessarily mean it's going to be <clears throat> disease resistant to the common diseases in your particular area if you're attracted to these heirlooms. Uh, so just be aware of that. There's a good reason maybe to still plant some, and it's because of the nostalgia of your consumers. If you're in the business, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's some really good heirlooms. Let's get that out there, like King David I've already raved about. Uh, but you can market nostalgia, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My daughter makes a business of it with her vintage clothing shop. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, you can take advantage of that with the apples, too. I could sell a lot of the apples I could sell probably for, you know, double my wood with a you know, a more common variety at the farmer's market, for instance. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, some of these heirlooms have sort of faded from use um, because of the uses of them in the past. Oh, excellent point. Um, Like the historical uses, not a lot of people these days are growing their own apples to make Mm -hmm. their own vinegar, say, or their hard hard (laughs) cider or whatever. Right. So, So, you know, if people were interested in those enterprises as sort of a nostalgic thing or just as a you know yeah well there's homesteaders i'm an old hippie homesteader Mm -hmm. and uh for years i did without common refrigeration or freezer or anything and so you had apples like arkansas black uh that were known as keepers you didn't have to have refrigeration you could you could wrap those up in newspaper this seemed to be the common method and uh, put it in a root cellar you know wrap them individually uh, just to keep the rots from spreading from because there's inevitably going to be something in there. But uh, wrap them in newspaper, uh, stick them in a root cellar, or some people said just in a you know cooler part of the house, and you can have something that was edible, uh, maybe not just the most <laughs> delicious, perfectly crunchy apple <laughs> that we have today. Uh, in April, I've eaten uh, Arkansas Blacks just in common stores like I have a root cellar and. April. Wow. And you think about the pioneers and the settlers, this is really important. Mm-hmm. So you'd have apples for the season similarly. 
you'd have summer apples. Mm -hmm. You know, now with common uh, refrigeration and transport, we can have, you know, the apples that we want, which now almost all the apples we, we eat were, would be back then be called dessert apples. Um, but we can get them from Chile or, you know, China or Europe or wherever. Uh, or we can keep them in storage with uh, 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 controlled atmospheric storage. We can keep our own apples, you know, almost a year. Um, so it's just not a question anymore of having to have these specialty apples. But it was back then you'd have to have, uh, or you should have to make the best cider, you know, apples that had a high tannin content. Well, your average consumer is not interested in a, you know, somewhat bitter apple. Right. And that's what the tannins are going to impart mm -hmm. as a bitter flavor. And, uh, but this was very valuable to a, a good cider. It probably improved the storability too, somewhat to the cider. I'm guessing, I don't really know that for a fact, but mm -hmm. tannins, doesn't that sound like it would? It sounds like it, yeah. yeah. It sounds like it would. <laughs> so you'd have all these specialty uses, you know, uh, drying apples. It maybe started off with a lower moisture content, so you'd get a head start. Mm -hmm. uh, the keepers, of course, were very important to the pioneers. Mm -hmm. And some of these would be important to us again, you know, uh, if we're homesteading, and there's there's people that are interested in that kind of thing, and some of us just want to have fresh apples of our own, you know, through the season. Right. So you could do that with some of these old heirlooms. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to do otherwise. Wasn't there one that you called like an old person's apple because oh, yeah. it was really soft? <laughs> all the time? Yeah. So this is quite a character that introduced me to this. Uh, um, Jeff. Oh my gosh! Right now I can't think of his real name. Everybody calls him the barefoot farmer. He's an old hippie. He's got hair down to his waist and a beard almost as long. Wow. Poppin', Jeff Poppin'. That's okay. his name. He's got a great name for uh -huh. an apple grower. Yeah. And he introduced me to this apple called Tennessee Strawberry. It's very early in the year. Uh, around here, I think it was in June. Uh, maybe even in May, but somewhere in there. Quite pretty. But it probably softens up from the moment you pick it and by the time you get it in the bushel basket. And uh, I said, boy, that's, that's not many people going to like this apple. I said, oh, it used to be really popular back in the old days. It was called an old person's apple. So, again, you'd have a sauce apple or a drying apple or something. This was called an old person's apple because you could eat it if you didn't have any teeth. And by <laughs> golly, it's really a pretty good apple, but it's not, you know, it wouldn't meet very many modern standards because right. it's, it's not crisp. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're so used to having one that's, you know, yeah, so we think we know. Uh -huh. Yeah. This is a problem with a lot of things, you know. I play banjo and it's a problem saying people think they know how a banjo is supposed to sound. Well maybe I don't want to play it that way. <laughs> Same with an apple, you know, it's supposed it's supposed to be crisp, sweet, blah blah blah, whatever you think, and if it doesn't meet those criteria then, you know, you may not think it's an apple, certainly not a good one. But you've got to remember that times were different and uh and these apples, a lot of these old heirlooms that failed to impress me when I got to taste them uh, at different times, uh, may have been really the best thing in its time and its region. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've, we've transcended that for the time being. We don't have to worry about regionality we, or geography. We've got modern, modern transportation. And we don't have to worry about the time of the year because of refrigeration. Mm -hmm. But it's good to have these things around just in case, I think. Yeah, yeah, seems... Mm -hmm. Seems smart in an era where we're trying to cut energy costs or energy use, you mm -hmm. know, with the refrigeration uses a lot of energy. And, yep, sure does. Um, so maybe those Arkansas blacks will make a comeback in people's yeah. cellars. They're pretty good too, by the way. And there's other apples that store almost as well from that same time period, like a stamen wine sap that, by golly, I'd put it up against any modern apple. Wow. Uh, it, 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 
It's not a dessert apple. Well, it is a dessert apple, but it's for refined tastes, like oh. yours and mine. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. No, it's got, good, it's got a good There you go. Wine sap. Yeah. You can't really beat that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it good. is. It's really, it's got a nice, it's got nice acids, nice sugars. It's a well-balanced apple, and it keeps really well. Mm, yeah. Um, another thing you've talked about is the um, financial incentive to create a name heirloom apples that might not be oh uh, right in any particular way very good but there was an incentive to make it sound really good right so <laughs> so what you're getting at here was uh, was the it was it grew out of my quandary you know I got to taste first of all I got to taste all these apples I kind of got in in 1980 or so uh, in Northwest Arkansas when my interest was piqued by this subject. And, uh, and met some of the last of the old orchardists from the 20s and 30s. You know, they were old men. And I got to taste some of these apples, at least the local Northwest Arkansas uh, heirlooms, and found most of them wanting. <laughs> not, and not me wanting them, most of them wanting in flavor. Uh, not too impressed. And then I took a job up in Missouri and uh, at a fruit station that had some old apple planters. So I got to taste a whole bunch of these old varieties and was for the most part, was very unimpressed with the flavor of these. And, of course, I've already talked about why um, they may have, you know, had some value back then. Uh, but another incentive, I think, for some of these apples being named and making it into these variety orchards and being planted was the uh, incentive for the, for the discoverer of this apple to make some money. So you kind of have to understand that in the, the late 1800s, um, urbanization was really rolling. People weren't growing. The pioneers, there weren't very many anymore. People were buying their apples at a store or from a peddler or something. And uh, the big nursery houses like Stark Brothers were growing up at that time. The Stark Brothers dates back to about 1890. And uh, they were looking for better apples. People were planting orchards for the very first time, really. I mean, that's not quite true, but in, in a big way, it's true. They were planting what we think of as a modern orchard, you know, with rows and rows, tree after tree, usually the same variety or just a couple of varieties that had proven marketability or, or proven shipability, things like that. Well, Stark Brothers was willing to pay for a new variety that had these, uh, these characteristics, you know, good flavor, uh, uh, easily transported, you know, maintain some quality over transport. Um, so I realized then that actually because of a, a paper that I did, a sort of historical pomological paper on a controversy between two apple varieties, one that belonged to Missouri and one belonged to Arkansas, it was a nomenclature. It, it appeared to be the same apple. Arkansas called it one thing, Missouri called it another, and there's money behind this. At first I was going, why are these people so upset? Uh, because you could read the historical accounts at their horticulture meetings and they're yelling, they're waving Confederate flags. <laughs> oh, the, no. oh, yeah, it was nuts, you know. <laughs> and uh, the reason was, really, you get to the bottom of it, like so many other things, it was money. If it was really, uh, it was Black Ben Davis was the name that Arkansas gave it. Gano was the name that Missouri gave it. And uh, whoever was right was going to get some money from uh, Stark Brothers who wanted to buy the rights to do this. Mm -hmm. So my point is, is that there was money involved in, in coming up with new varieties back then, as there is now really for that matter, but back then, 
So some people probably, I'm guessing, because people being <laughs> what they are, uh, might have named some of these in haste. You know, mm-hmm. hey, this seems to be a really good apple. And you really need to watch an apple over several years, over several, you know, regions, growing conditions before you can really probably should name it and try to market it. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that there are probably a lot of people kind of in a hurry to cash in on this um, um, trend. It was kind of a, uh, it was an exciting period for apple varieties. And Stark Brothers had a sort of a bounty out there for, you know, the best apple. And they had, they were like uh, World's Fairs in St. Louis, and oh, yeah. Chicago. There'd be these big apple contests. And mm-hmm. that's when Red Delicious came around, by the way, which once upon a time was a really good apple. It was what called happened? Hawkeye. Well, breeders got a hold of it. They thought housewives were stupid. You know, they started breeding just for color. They started breeding for that typey shape. But, mm-hmm. you know, when Stark Brothers first founded in the late 1890s, uh, they kind of pronounced it the world's best apple mm-hmm. and uh, ran with it. And whoever, whatever, it was up from Iowa, who, whichever Iowan, you know, introduced that, made some money. Mm-hmm. So there was a financial incentive for people to name apples you know, apple varieties, a new apple variety, and I'm afraid some of them did it in haste because there was a lot of mediocre heirlooms that I got to taste over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so, how if a person was interested in, in you know, picking out some heirlooms mm-hmm. to, to plant either for some commercial sale or just for homesteading purposes, yeah. how do they sift through these? Oh, that's a great huge question. Huge varieties. Huge range yeah. of varieties. Uh, so, of course, they can ask me. Uh, call me here <laughs> at Asher on our 800 line, which it's, you know, it's there <laughs> with this podcast. You'll see it, hear it. Uh, so, and I've tasted a lot of them, but by no means, uh, you know, all. I mean, there's thousands and thousands. Um in the South, there's a really good book that came out, Old Southern Apples by Creighton Lee Calhoun, which has just got to be the ultimate Southern name, doesn't it? Yeah. Creighton Lee Calhoun. Calhoun. He's done an excellent job uh, of cataloging these old varieties, <clears throat> tasting them where he could find them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's found some ones that were presumed to be extinct. He's really done a great service for, for all of us, and especially for those of us who are interested in these heirlooms. Uh, there's a huge uh, apple uh, compendium that just came out of Decorah, Iowa. It used to be Seed Savers Exchange. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of the, of the author right now, but we can we probably can add that. It, yeah, we can link to it. And still, it's really hard to be able to taste them. So here's what my suggestion would be. You know, look at these books. There's a ton of them out there. We've got a couple here on the desk uh, that are really good. But... Uh, Join NAFEX, North American Fruit Explorers, or at least get on their Facebook page, nafex.org, uh, North American Fruit Explorers. And there's meetings around the country. There's all kinds of uh, fruit enthusiasts or apple enthusiasts. There's also uh, uh, other regional subgroups out of there. There's a Southern uh, Apple Interest Group, and I'm sure there's same for New England and such. So if you become members of those groups, and then you can go to their fall meetings and actually taste them mm. and talk to the other growers. And is this as disease resistant as I need as an organic, organic grower, for instance? So you can talk to the people that are actually growing them. You can actually taste these, this little bit of history if you get involved in these groups. So that's a lot of fun. And uh, I'd recommend that if you're interested in this. Mm-hmm. That's great. 
Um, yeah, and we can link to all those different yes, things good. on the website. Um, so what would what do you think of uh, as the best uses for these heirloom varieties in in today's world? Well, you know, I'm a I'm a I don't as an organic grower, it's hard to call myself commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is sort of a joke, a self-deprecating joke because it's really difficult to to grow apples in the south organically. But where I can, uh, I take advantage of these names. You know, King David, uh, people don't know, but I, you know, I tell them. Mm-hmm. And I've got little handouts. Yeah. I can take advantage of that for marketing the apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also a nurseryman, so I can take advantage of, of that same nostalgia. Uh, I try to limit it to the ones that really are good and really are disease resistant. Um, so those are, are probably, uh, you know, for those people that are going to be commercial, those are really good uses that, you know, the ones that are really good, let's propagate them, let's grow them, and, and go ahead and take advantage of this of this history, of this sense of nostalgia. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and then another thing that we really do need to look at where it actually does exist is disease resistance. We've got a whole, you know, we've got a couple generations now of apple breeding that's been pretty much just for flavor. They haven't worried about disease resistance except for a really notable uh, project out of Purdue, Rutgers, and Illinois. But with the exceptions of those, most people haven't been thinking about disease resistance, just flavor and maybe storability. And uh, there's going to be a lot of really good disease resistance. These old heirlooms are going to be sources for disease resistance, and we need to sort that out somewhat and make sure it's true mm-hmm. uh, but it's there you know that's basically what we have is a germplasm repository right. and the fact that we've got this interest in this now and people are saving these old varieties is going to be good for the future for, you know for consumers for apple breeders for the industry that's probably the main thing right there is disease i'd say pest resistance but there's not so much insect resistance very much anyway it's mostly going to be disease resistance, and it's there. We've got this huge germplasm repository, and it would be a shame to lose it if we let all these heirlooms disappear. Right. So keeping the diversity absolutely uh, going. Yep. Otherwise, there's always a danger of uniformity in, in uh, modern consumer culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Well, I, you know, I, I've got a little a little joke in the... In the the blog, uh, and it kind of sums up my experience really with so many of these heirlooms that they really weren't that great. So it's about uh, Ben Davis, not Black Ben Davis, which I uh, mentioned earlier, a different apple called Ben Davis. And uh, it dominated uh, the South, at least commercial production in the South, probably from those late 1800s, you know, through, oh, before Washington State, really. Mm-hmm, you know. right. When Washington State... Uh, production really ramped up then it destroyed a whole lot of uh, other apple producing regions but anyway ben davis was almost by all accounts a mediocre apple you know just really wasn't that great but it's stored and shipped Mm -hmm. you could you could have a sellable apple you know in new york city from here and we did we shipped Mm -hmm. apples from here and it was mostly uh it may have even originated here which i'm almost embarrassed to (laughs) to admit because it was fairly so bad so here's the joke the joke was, the story goes, that there was a, uh, an apple taster that was so good, his tastes were so refined, that he bragged that he could blindfolded tell what any apple variety was by tasting it. Wow. 
So some other fella came along and took a raw potato, carved it into an apple shape, and coated it with lacquer, took this guy up on his challenge, blindfolded him, and mm-hmm. let him taste this apple. This guy bit into the apple and crunched it a little bit, and you could see him thinking. He goes, Ben Davis, I think, but if it is, it's the best Ben Davis I've ever had. <laughs> A raw potato. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, if you run across some of these heirlooms that aren't that great, it's not just you. Some of them just really aren't that great. Yeah. And nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been fun. It has been fun. I've learned a lot. Good. I'm going to go plant some heirlooms. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Guy Ames directly at guya at ncat.org. That's G-U-Y-A at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. In the notes below, you'll find links to ATRA resources and publications related to heirloom apples. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.